Grace and joy to you, family. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this powerful portion of scripture. Would you go with us now as we do our very best to hear what your spirit is saying to the church as we walk together as a family through this great book of Luke's gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor John, for all of your work. RCC, sometimes in life, we are arrested by what I call is a reality of who really trusts God and who really do not. I know sometimes as a believer, I have seasons where my faith is not what it ought to be. Sometimes I too struggle to trust God and lean and depend on his word. And it's in those seasons that I've come to discover that what God is going to do with me, he's going to do with or without me. Why? Because he's God. And his plan for my life always supersedes my plan for my life. So today's text, you and I are going to get to see God call a man into his service for God's honor and glory. But it has nothing to do with the man, nothing to do with his position in life, his pedigree. God is going to do something in the earth to accomplish his will for the world. And he's going to use a reluctant messenger to get the job done. It was in the dark days of the nation of Israel. The people who uh, had been on earth had not heard a prophetic word from God in over 400 years. From the end of the book of Malachi to the opening of the Gospel of Luke, that was called the 400 years of silence. Heaven had not spoken through the prophets in a long time. In fact, the spiritual leaders of the nation were shackled by tradition and corruption. And their king, Herod the Great, was also a very wicked man who wanted nothing to do with the things of God. So when you and I arrive at the text this morning, we see difficult days, dark and wicked hearts, and doubtful leaders of the faith operating in the earthly realm. And it's on the backdrop of this scene that God steps into time, disrupts humanity, and reveals his heart and his hand and his agenda for the world. There's several things I want to wrestle with this morning and bring you along with me as we study the text. One, I'd like for us to look at a faithful servant. Number two, a fearful servant. Number three, a faithless servant. And then we'll land the plane looking at a favored servant. In verse five of the text, the Bible says this. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest whose name was Zacharias. And he was of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. 
Beloved, when we arrive at this portion of the story, we get to see a preacher, Zacharias, a priest, who was faithful in the course of his assignment in the temple. His work in the community was without scrutiny. His leadership was without question. His calling was clear, but he had a struggle that nobody else knew about. You see, he wanted a baby, but his wife couldn't conceive. Zacharias' name means Jehovah has remembered. But it didn't seem like God remembered him when he came to his own request. He was married to a beautiful sister whose name was Elizabeth, and her name meant God is my oath. It didn't seem like that when their prayers hadn't been heard. Here it is. From birth, this couple had been dedicated to God. Did you know they were both godly uh, workers in the community? They both were born into the priestly line of of Israel, they, and their ministry had them divided into 24 courses of their priestly duty. And each priest had the responsibility of serving in the temple two weeks out of the year. Now, in spite of the godlessness all around them, Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful. Faithful to obey God and to live blamelessly in the community. But nevertheless, they were both burdened with a disappointment that they carried in this life. Have you ever been there? Have you ever tried to live faithful as a husband or a bride? Have you ever tried to live faithful to the word of God but found yourself disappointed in life? Have you ever tried to do things God's way but still had to be disappointed by what you couldn't do for God in the name of the Lord? If that's the case, RCC, then this morning, beloved, this text has your name on it and it has my name on it. Here's what I've learned about this passage. This couple's only sorrow was that they had no family. They had no babies of their own. And they made this a matter of constant prayer. But God seemed like he wasn't hearing them. I wrote myself a note. Little did they know, Wilson, God was going to answer their prayers. And he was going to give them not a priest to carry on the name or the tradition that they have both been laboring in, but a prophet. And this was going to be no ordinary prophet. Their son, John, that they were going to have, was going to be the herald of the coming king. He was going to be a miracle baby, a giant in the ministry, a gift from God, a man that nobody else would be able to measure up to. But they had no idea why they were in the middle of their doubt that God had a blessing for them. God was literally waiting in the wings to do something for them supernatural. Here it is. God was about to move and the whole world was going to be blessed by the plan of God. We've looked at the faithful servant. Let me show you now the fearful servant. In verse number 8 of this text, the Bible says that so it was that while Zacharias was serving as a priest, 
before God in his order of the order of Abijah, verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to him to burn incense when he was in the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Did you see that right there? That's how we know he was praying for a baby. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. The angel speaks to Zacharias and then tells him about his gift and what ministry his son is going to have after he's born. Well, let me unpack this portion of this narrative for you. When we come to this portion of scriptures, you and I get to see the faithful servant of the Lord, Zacharias, become the fearful servant of the Lord. Let, let me explain. He goes from steadfast service to a slippery slope of fearfulness in spite of what he's been called to do for God. See, according to the text, his service that year was the highest honor any priest could ever have. You see, everyone in the priesthood lived for this preaching moment. To be the person to stand and serve at the offering or the, of the uh, altar of incense was a high and holy privilege. The Bible says that the priest that year drew lots to see whose time, whose turn it would be to serve at this altar. And Zacharias, out of all of the priestly tribes, was called to serve in that place. This high and holy honor family was permitted once in a lifetime. And so when he gets the call, it's incredible. It's a wonderful privilege. And they had to do this for one whole week. They had to do it in the morning and they had to do it in the evening. A friend in my library commenting on this text says, Wilson, you probably noticed something that God often speaks to his servants while they are already busy doing something for him. I thought that was a good note. But then he gave me some illustrations. He said, remember Moses and David? They were both out in the field caring for sheep. 
God called them while they were already doing something. Remember Gideon, who was out in the field threshing wheat? Peter, who was cleaning his nets with the other brothers? They were already doing something when God called them. Then he said, Wilson, have you ever noticed it's difficult to steer a car when the engine isn't running? I said, that is so true. It's when we are already doing something when God calls us. In other words, God never calls a woman or a man who ain't doing nothing. Can I get a witness right there? He's going to use Zacharias in the order of his service because Zacharias is already doing something. The second thing I notice in this verse is that Luke mentions about the divine incident that occurs during the course of the priestly function. In other words, God showed up through one of his messengers, the angel called Gabriel. When Gabriel appears by the altar, Zacharias, according to this passage, was frightened. And he was frightful because if anybody in Israel's history knew about the appearances of angels whenever they were doing something, they automatically either came as a sign of judgment or a sign of deliverance. So when he shows up in Zacharias' ministry at this time, Zacharias is not expecting a visitation from God. Let me say some more right here. Gabriel caught the preacher off guard. Gabriel showed up when he wasn't expecting to hear God speak or to see God move. I know, I know you're not impressed, so let me say some more right here. Okay. Sometimes, as children of God and servants of God, we can be operating, doing good things in our life for God, on behalf of God, but never expecting an encounter from God. Zacharias was not looking for God's encounter. He wasn't looking for God to show up. He was just operating from what I call familiarity. Not expecting something divine to occur. Have you been there? As a mom, as a dad, or a son, or a daughter, you're just doing your best to be obedient to God, going through life, but not really expecting for God to meet you. Not really expecting for God to show up and reveal himself to you. These are what I call divine moments of intimacy. Intimacy where God begins to walk personally with you in your life and you see him and experience him in real times. These are what I call divine setups by God. That's what I think Sunday morning is. Sunday morning, we ought to come in here with great anticipation, believing that God is going to show up and meet us as we walk together in community in his word. That's a good place for an amen. He always shows up, RCC, when you least expect it. And when you're doing what he called you to do. This text reminds me that God is always watching the servants of the Lord even when the servant doesn't think he is. The third thing I see in that passage right there is Zacharias is fearful of the divine visitor. He, he's afraid and has to be instructed to not be fearful. 
He has to be reminded that God, or rather, that working for God, there it is, is something to not be fearful of. He has to be reminded that a divine visit from God is not designed to cause you fear, even if it may surprise you. The angel says, instead of being fearful, Zacharias, rejoice. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear you a son, and you're going to call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He won't drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. He's going to turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. Wow. Gabriel instructs him to rejoice because God is getting ready to move in his life. He's going to fix all of John's and Elizabeth's disappointment. Here it is. God is about to give you, Zacharias, the desire of your hearts. And when he does, here's what God wants you to do. Just name his son John. Now, why is that important? Well, Pastor John, you'll like this. His name means Jehovah is gracious. Yes, you've been waiting all this time, Zacharias, you and Elizabeth to have a son. And when God gives him to you, tell the world he's gracious. God is gracious. Because he's heard my prayer. The angel then also promises that he will be filled with the spirit of God from the womb. That's powerful. In other words, God was going to use John's ministry to turn many people who walked away from him back to him. Here's the application for you, RCC. We can learn from these verses that God sometimes shows up when we least expect it. We can learn from this verse that when God shows up and he works in our hearts and in our minds, right, that the blessings that he gives you are never really just for you. John was going to be a gift to Zacharias and Elizabeth, but he was really going to be a gift that God was going to use for all of humanity and to bring himself honor and glory. Isn't that beautiful? I stopped by to tell somebody those wonderful gifts you have today, they're not just for you, beloved. They're for humanity to get to know God, that they might come back into a right relationship with God. God's gifts are what I call eternal gifts. They don't tarnish, they don't fade away, because they are designed to draw people into a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to get off my script here for a moment and talk to RCC about why you are really in Naperville. You're in Naperville because God needs a witness in Naperville. You're the gift to the city of Naperville. Can I preach a little bit right here? You've been sent here because God needs a light. He needs salt in this zip code. And this area sits in darkness without the church of Jesus Christ. You are a gift to this community. A gift to be unleashed in the lives of those that are broken. And I'm happy to be a part of this gift. Come on, say amen, somebody. So, guess what? God's gifts don't. They don't rust in time. I like that right here. They don't wear out there. Therefore, God's name, his honor, and his glory to be used. I learned from this verse that even in my fearfulness, like Zacharias, I can always trust God. I've learned in this verse that while I'm working, 
I should be expecting God to speak to me, reveal himself to me, and do things in my life that I can never do on my own. My work as a dad, as a brother, as a teacher, as a chaplain, I should be expecting God to work and looking for God to work and not be surprised when he brings broken people or lost sheep into my area. We've looked at a faithful servant. We've looked at a fearful servant. Let me show you now a faithless servant and how they talk. After the angel spoke to Zacharias, verse 18, the Bible says that Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? Or like, are you for real? He says, I'm an old man, Gabriel, and my wife is an old woman. She's advancing her years. And the angel stopped him and said, do you know who I am? (laughs) I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Oh, that's powerful right there. He says, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But look, you're going to be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. And then there's a pause between 20 and 21, and the Bible says, and the people were waiting for Zacharias outside the temple, and they marveled that he took so long or that he lingered so long inside. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They perceived they had seen a vision in the temple, for he had beckoned them But he remained speechless. He was trying to tell them what happened. But he couldn't talk. Let me unpack that. When we come to this portion of the text, we discover that because of Zacharias' unbelief, he has to be sent a powerful physical sign. His unbelief ultimately impacts the rest of his ministry and his ability to communicate what the Lord is doing in his life. Beloved, a commentator on this passage said this. He said, you would think that the presence of an angel and the announcements of God's word would have encouraged Zacharias' faith, but it did just the opposite. See, instead of looking for God by faith, the priest was looking to himself and his wife to decide if the birth was possible or not. He wanted some assurance beyond the plain word of Gabriel. Or in other words, God's word wasn't enough. This is, of course, unbelief, beloved. And unbelief is something God don't work with. See, what happens in this text is Zacharias was questioning God's ability to fulfill his own word. He had forgotten what what God did with Abraham and Sarah. He had forgotten what all that God did for Israel. And perhaps he thought that his physical limitations were also limitations for Yahweh. Perhaps he thought that because he couldn't give her a baby, God couldn't give her a baby. Perhaps he thought God was limited in scope power, procreation, expectation, and even limited in his ability. 
Perhaps he forgot that God was divine and that his ways and ideas, they transcend the mortal realm of humanity and that he exists in infinite space beyond time and has power that no human could ever fathom. He's God, beloved. Oh, that felt good right there. Perhaps Zacharias forgot who he was serving in the temple. Perhaps he took his eyes off of God and put them on his circumstances. Got a question for you this morning. Have you ever been there? Have you ever questioned God after hearing his word or his promises pronounced to you? If you have, then we can't criticize Zacharias too much. We should examine ourselves and see how strong our faith in God really is. Can I remind us today, RCC, that faith in the believer's life is always blessed, beloved, because unbelief wars against faith. Can I remind us that if God tells you something, he means what he says, and he says what he means. Can I tell you that God can always be trusted even when you can't see the outcome or have a history of it ever being done that way before. You can trust God, RCC, even when you can't see him. Look at the text. I'm almost through. There are consequences for unbelief in the believer's life. When God promises something, we're commanded to believe him. And when we don't, we can also expect consequences for our unbelief. Let me say it this way. According to the text, Zacharias was struck mute until the word of the Lord was fulfilled. See, Zacharias didn't believe and therefore he couldn't speak. When he left the holy place, he was unable to give the priestly benediction to bless the people as they left the temple. Why? His unbelief left his ministry undone. Listen, if you don't hear anything else this morning, lean in on this part. His unbelief left others without the blessing. His unbelief left the people without the promise. His unbelief put a delay on the ministry promise that God had in store. Because of his unbelief, he got a very different sign that the one who intended to give a blessing to him would now hold, yes, his peace. Look, instead of giving him the chance to testify of what he had seen and what he had heard in the temple, because of his unbelief, he was unable to tell the message. His own unbelief robbed him of the joy of being a witness for God about the promises of God. This has happened in my life before. I know it's real. Look, according to the text, God had given him a very personal sign that he would have to live for the rest of these whole nine months. For nine months, he couldn't tell anybody what he saw and experienced in the temple with God. Why? Because he didn't believe the word. What a tragedy, RCC. 
He could have went on speaking, a speaking tour about how God showed up in the temple and met him. But because of unbelief, his word was silenced. What a tragedy, RCC. He could have told of the blessings of waiting on God and expecting him to move when he least expected. But because of unbelief, he was silenced. What a tragedy. He could have had a ministry of encouragement for those who were barren, challenging them to seek the Lord while he may be found. But because of unbelief, he was silenced. RCC. RCC, RCC, hear me today, hear me today. Look, what a tragedy for God to call us to Naperville, but we keep quiet about the good news. We've looked at a faithful servant. We've looked at a fearful servant. We've looked at a faithless servant. Let's look now at a favored servant. The Bible says in verse 22, When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They perceived that he had seen the vision because he beckoned the people to come to him. And so it was in the days when the days of service was completed that he departed to the house after the one week of temple sacrifice. Verse 24. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself for five months. She didn't want anybody to know she was pregnant. And she says this, the Lord has dealt with me in my days when he looked on me to take away my approach among people. Beloved, when we come to this last portion of the text, and I thank you for your patience today, we see an incredible God who works on our behalf in spite of us. God is so faithful that this portion of the text really blows my mind. See, according to the text, the promise of the Lord came true. The servant was mute, so he couldn't talk, and he couldn't tell anybody what had happened, as I mentioned earlier. He goes back to his family, and look at this. As a dad, he goes back to the family with no voice. He went back to the priesthood with no voice. He went back to his wife with no voice. No preaching. I'm going to exaggerate it here. No preaching as a preacher, no singing, no talking, no voice at all to tell what the Lord has shared with him and on what the Lord was going to do. He lost his ability to speak for God because he didn't believe God. What a tragedy. Can I tell you, it's a terrible thing to have been called by God but refused to believe God's word for your life. What a tragedy to be called to speak for God but lose your voice. What a tragedy to be called to serve God but lose your platform. What a tragedy to be called to teach others his word but lose the ability to communicate because you can't trust in the promises of God. Zacharias was in a tough place, not because God put him there, but because he put himself there. Even though Zacharias couldn't believe in the word of God, guess what the good news is? God still kept his word. God kept his promise. And Elizabeth did conceive. And somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody needs to hear the bald head preacher say, there is nothing too hard for God. Here it is. God said it and God did it because God said that he would. 
Because God can be trusted, RCC. We can always count on him to come through with what he said. Can I get a witness right there? Even when we fall short, even when we fall down, even when we fail miserably, God is always on the throne and he's always in charge. God had much more in store than just giving Zacharias and Elizabeth a baby boy. God was setting up the coming of the Messiah. God was doing something bigger than making Zacharias and Elizabeth parents, although that's good too. Their desires were but a small part of the big plan of God in the earth. God was going to use their desires to save humanity. And I think I need to segue right here while I have the microphone and just tell you, having children in your family is bigger than just carrying on your name. God has a desire to save humanity, and he uses people to preach the gospel that people might get saved. See, your role as a dad or as a mom might seem insignificant to you, but oh, baby, that's a big thing in the kingdom of God. If you're a son or you're a daughter, you wonder, what am I purpose, pastor? What am I here? What am I to do after college? Listen, listen, beloved. God has a plan for your life. Begin to seek him now because it's always bigger than you think it is. That major is not just for you, though it's good. That purpose is always built in the kingdom of God for God's work and restoration in the earth. Hmm. God, according to scripture, and I'm landing the plane now, had a forerunner in mind. This forerunner was going to be the one who prepared the way for Jesus, who was coming to redeem humanity. And God chose little bitty Zacharias and Elizabeth to give the world the greatest prophet there ever was, John the Baptist. I like this point right here. This really warmed my heart. God needed some parents, Sister Wilson, who could model for the forerunner what it meant to be faithful in difficult days. Wow, parents, what a trust God has given you. Even though they weren't perfect, they had what I call the favor of God on their lives. Even though they had fear, they also had favor. I like this because favor isn't fair. It's just favor. (laughs) He could have chosen anybody, but he chose Zacharias and Elizabeth. That's the favor of God. RCC, he could have chose any group of people to be RCC in Naperville, but he chose you. Doesn't mean we're better than anybody. It just means it's God's favor. Oh, that felt good right there. I need to tell you that what God is doing in your life It ain't always fair, but it's got his favor on it. Listen, listen, listen. Somebody can't do what you do. That's favor. Somebody hasn't received what you've received. That's favor. Somebody hasn't been spared like you. That's favor. Somebody hasn't experienced the presence of God in their life like you. That's favor. It was favor that God had for the whole world and that caused him to send his only begotten son to come down to earth and to die for us. 
God's favorite humanity and called his only begotten son to carry the sins of us all up on Calvary. That's the favor of God. Jesus took your place. He took my place. It should have been us on the cross. Can I get an amen? But God's favor was upon our life that God would send his son to redeem us from sin. He died and was buried. And the good news is early Sunday morning, God the Father raised him back to life, taking your place and giving you an eternal relationship, reconciling you back to the right hand of God. Thank you for listening to this first portion of Luke's gospel. Next week, if the Lord delays his coming, we'll come back with the rest of the story. I want to walk us expositionally through the text because every piece of scripture matters and they all can be applied to every area of our life. If you believe that's right, why don't you high-five your neighbor and tell them, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let me pray for us. Our Father and our God, we thank you today for looking at the servant who struggled to believe. And for all of us online and on land, we can both identify with Zachariah. We can identify with waiting so long for you to do something in our life that we almost give up hope. But God, I pray today that as we go forward in this great city of Naperville, you would teach us to be salt and light. You would teach us to hold on to your promises. You would teach us to believe your word against all doubts. Believe your word against the circumstances and situations that buffet us, that make us no longer believe your word or trust that your word is true. I thank you, God, too, that you called Zacharias and Elizabeth in a culture where the culture didn't believe because you had a plan. And I'm thankful today that the same plan you had back then, you have now. I want to pray for our miracle children in this great church, those Johns and Joannas that you are sending forth and raising forward to be witnesses in the earth, forerunners for the second coming of your King. I pray a blessing over this church today, Father, that you will use us supernaturally to transform Naperville, then transform DuPage County, and then transform Illinois, and then transform North America, and then transform the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our sin of unbelief. We repent today that we've taken our eyes off of you, and we come back eagerly saying, Lord, use us. Breathe on us to fulfill your will and your work in the earth. Thank you for those who are here. Now may the spirit of the living God breathe fresh on us. We count your word as faithful. In the name of Jesus, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.